The man of will breaks all boundaries. As above, so below. Magic of come to realize is a new way of seeing our own world. Something divine truly does exist. You're listening to the Culture Shock podcast with your host, Dave Escuro. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Culture Shock podcast. I'm your host, Dave, and today we are celebrating a very special episode. If you're like me, this is the week of Thanksgiving in the United States. And all political and historical implications aside, I think having at least one day to pause the very rapid pace of life and giving thanks and being gracious for the amazing things that the universe has provided you, that's something, that's a holiday that I can sign off on uh, and I can reclaim and make my own. And so in whatever way that you're able to celebrate Thanksgiving, Take a moment to, to thank those people in your life, the people who have been there from day one and the people who are even there for a second and everyone in between. It's so often easy to sort of get caught up in the day-to-day runnings of life that we forget to just pause and just say thank you for everything that the universe provides. So I, I urge you all to, to give thanks on this week, um, as I am thankful for all of you for listening to this podcast. I'm also thankful for our guest today. When I first started conceiving this podcast, I made a list of people whom I wanted to speak with, some of which were people whom I had known forever. I'm very, I'm very lucky and fortunate to know such creative people. Some were people I just knew kind of online, and, and many of which I became closer friends with after having done the podcast and spent some time really getting to know them. And at the top of my list was today's guest, Lori Davis. You may know Lori from producing the documentary West of Memphis, but what you might not know is that Lori's in the process of writing a screenplay about her love story, as she'll explain in this podcast. And she also does a blog on Patreon. And her blog was very much the inspiration for not only uh, me doing my own blog, but I often find that it feels like it was written for me to read on the day that I read it. And that's the power that art can have, whether you intend for it or not. Putting yourself out there, putting your own perspective out there can oftentimes reach people in profoundly important ways. And, uh, you know, Lori's writing is no exception to that. And if, and if nothing else, it proves the rule. So I, I want to thank Lori profusely for being so gracious with her time, sharing her insight, um, volleying questions back and forth as we sort of fan out about film. We, uh, As you'll listen to, we both love film. Um, it's a big sort of connecting point for us. And I want to I thank her for that, for that time. And I hope that you all get as much out of it as I did. Because as I've often said, when I do these interviews and when I do these conversations, I could talk for hours with some of my guests. And and 100%, that could have been the case with Lori. So uh, thank you, Lori, for all of the time and uh, your warmth and your knowledge and your creativity and everything that you share in general with the world and coming onto this podcast to share a little bit of it with our listeners. And I want to thank you, our listeners, for being such amazing people. I literally... Um, I know that people listen from all over the world, and that's crazy to me. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Uh, I, I give thanks to it all. So without further ado, my guest today, Lori Davis. Thank you, and I'm I'm so happy to have you on board as well. Um, when I first thought about starting this podcast, I made a list of names of people I wanted to talk to. Some people I knew directly, some people I knew sort of uh, social media in a social media way, and then some people I knew... Uh, like you, we, we corresponded a little bit, but not really, didn't really know each other that well. And I was like, I don't, you know, I don't know if I want to reach out to folks that I know probably get bombarded with requests all the time. And, um, and when 
there was time for this week to come up. I was thinking, you know, it's it's this will come out the week of Thanksgiving. And uh, I've been practicing at least thinking, if not writing, uh, about things I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm grateful for. And I feel like that ties in well. And I was like, well, who could I chat about that? And, and the only name oh. that came up was you. Because um, you your your writing uh, and when we correspond, it's always so positive, and whether it's intentional or not, gratitude seems to be a regular theme in in your writing uh, and your perspective of it, and, and navigating some yeah. rocky roads. So, I I was I said in the email when I sent you, I was a little nervous about it. I was like, ah, I don't want it to feel like I'm crossing some sort of line or boundary or intruding. So I said, oh, here's what I'll do. I have a buddy who does divination for everything, everything. So I said, I'll do divination. I'll pull a tarot card. And so I'm thumbing through my deck. And normally when I find the card to pull, my thumb gets heavy and or a stick. I, I just know. It wasn't happening. I shuffled through it twice, just sort of fanning through it. And then when I fanned through it the second time, I realized that one card was upright. It was like in the wrong direction of my entire deck. And I was like, okay, I think it was the, it was the three of wands. I think it was. And so I was like, okay, that's my sign. Ask and, and just see what happens. So <laughs> I'm, I'm very appreciative that you said yes. And that you're willing to be here on the show. Well, as soon as I got your email, not who knows how quickly you'd send it. I mean, you may have gotten a response like 30 seconds after you sent it. I don't know, but it was so pretty quick. Yeah, it was pretty quick. <laughs> I saw it like it was there. And I just opened it and I read like the first, I didn't even read the whole thing. I read it later, but, and I just thought, <laughs> I don't even, most of the time, to be quite honest, I don't do podcasts too much anymore. Um, not that I did mm-hmm. a, a lot of them in the past, but when, you know, books or films were coming out, we did some, but I usually just, I don't yeah. know. I don't, I haven't done one in a long time, but just like you said, it's been our relationship just kind of, we're, you know, even the, you know, we've emailed back and forth and I've always enjoyed everything you've ever talked about or said. And I can just feel your <laughs> love and obsession for film, which I have too. And you're, you always, <laughs> <laughs> you've always been so kind um, with my writing, which you're talking about the production quality of, of that's what I feel about my writing. It's like if you dip in there mm-hmm. somewhere, it could be kind of scary. It's just a work in progress. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I love that. I love that you are so passionate about about screenwriting as well, because you've had a variety of jobs over the course of your career, as as oftentimes many of us do. Yeah. Um, you know, when I when I was in my twenties, I was in retail for most of my twenties, selling shoes. As I always like to joke them like it was like a modern day Al Bundy. You know, I worked <laughs> at uh, Aldo Shoes for a long time, and um, if you see me, I clearly don't care about fashion, but it was a job, and I was good at it. But when you find that thing that you're passionate about and you can tap into it, it's it's pretty it's pretty crazy how it will drive you forward, whether you want whether you're ready or not. It just right. it just grabs hold and takes you. Yes, it's true, and you're right. Before um, I went to Arkansas to work on Damien's case, um, I was living in New York, and I was a landscape architect. And I mean, it was like a dream job. It truly was. It was somehow I managed to wind up in a firm that was working for, you know, really like even like the 0.5%. These people had mm-hmm. so much money and you could do anything. And and as a designer, that it's like, that's all you ever want. You want to be able to like 
just right. sky's the limit. It was so fun. I traveled a lot. Um, but, but aside from that, from my, my day job, film, I've always been obsessed with it. And even like in any job I've ever had, I would always be like, oh, have a meeting at two o'clock. Well, I'd be heading to the theater to see a film. I'd always get my work done. <laughs> I would I would always work late if I had to. I didn't cheat my employer. But if there was a film festival going on, if there was, and my jobs were always, you know, I always had site visits and things like that. So it was easy to go see, yeah. you know, so my whole life film has been like interwoven into everything I ever did, but I just never thought I would, be working in the film industry. You know, I never thought about making a film. And then so many things happened in my life. And I started thinking it probably wouldn't be a bad idea to write this in some way, whether fictionalize it or just tell the, the story of how everything has happened in my life. And so I just mm -hmm. started doing that about seven years ago and had no idea what I was That's doing. That's amazing. No idea. None of us do. It's okay. That's the right way. That's the right way to go about it. I uh, I was listening to a a podcast. Or it was actually a, a it was a director or writer commentary. It was Tarantino talking about true romance, mm -hmm. and he talked about how he had been writing for years. He got like thirty or seventy scripts or something like that, and could never get past the first thirty pages. Wow! You know, he'd write, and then he and then he'd get another idea that like tickled him, and he'd start writing about that, and then another. You know, he just never could stay on one story. And then he decided to take his sort of meager wage and, and apply it to a film that he shot over three years. Just like whenever he had some extra scratch, he would, he would go and, and, and he'd film a little bit more and then he'd go back to work and so on and so forth. And then when he got to the end of that, he realized that he didn't really have what he thought he had. It wasn't really what he, what he envisioned, but he taught himself how to make a movie uh, and, he'd, and he'd done it without having to go to film school. Yeah, and yeah. so right after that, he wrote a he wrote True Romance, and uh, and he knew the moment he started writing it that he would finish it because he knew he had a story to tell, yeah. and the the character of of uh, Clarence was um, very much very much based on on his own who he was, especially at that time in his early twenties when he was working at a, a video store, wanting to be a filmmaker, and so that story poured out and. By the time it got around to being made, he'd already made uh, Reservoir Dogs. And so he he couldn't go back to the first script because that was like the first love. And he'd moved yeah. on from the first love. And so he gave it to Tony Scott. And of course, it's a, it's a classic. So uh, when, when that story is in you, it, it will just find its way out one way or another. It just does. I know. And, and it's actually once it's fun to start writing, whether it goes anywhere or not. Mm -hmm. Um, just to sit down and have an idea in your head and let it just sort of take, take, take whatever route it wants to take. Um, I'd never right. done anything like that before. Um, so it was, it's, it's, it's fun. It's humbling, <laughs> completely humbling. I'm sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it, it's, it's, it's a whole new way of, and it also, it changes your brain the way you think. Sure. Yeah. Did you, did, did you, um, you know, like a lot of us will start with books cause that's like the most access accessible. Were there any 
books that you sort of leaned on for structure or did you just write and then go back and sort of chip away at it like a, like, like sculpting? Well, Fran Walsh um, sent me some tapes that she and Pete watched before they sat down to write Lord of the Rings. And it was, um, mm-hmm. and you might have to help me because I'm not, his name is, I'm blanking on his name, but it's the guy who does story. He does like, he'll okay. do like seminars and things like that. And I can't remember his name. He's written a book. It's a whole thing. And so I went to, Fran actually mm-hmm. sent me to, um, he did one in um, New York and it's, it was a, like a three day intensive on screenwriting. Mm. And so um, that kind of got me thinking about, you know, one of the, the most interesting things I thought he said in the very beginning is when you're writing for the screen, these people aren't real. They don't, people don't act like this. And so, you know, I mean, I know that there are some films and th- that actually try to have a very realistic feel to them, but most movies, sure. the, the characters do things that normal people don't do because you have to write them in that way so that the story will move along and that you can get it into the time frame that you're working toward. And that was, that was freeing for me to hear, (laughs) you know, you're not, you don't have to make it real. You just have to make the character, you know, work for the story. So that was a big sort of aha moment for me. And also just thinking about, you know, building in all of, you know, the backstory, building in the subtext, all of those things that I, that I didn't know that you would learn in film school. Um, right. Those things were, you know, it's, they're just these subtle way. It's different in script writing to think in those terms. And yeah. also when you just, you're having to, you know, think about direction and location and scene and all this, it's just, it's just different. So that, I think that kicked me off was that course that I took. Did you, so, I mean, documentary making is uh, obviously it's a little bit of a different beast, but did your experience in the documentary sort of help inform that? Cause at least I would imagine while you're not obviously shooting a, a fictional story or character, you are editing uh, mm-hmm. and, and involving that process to some degree. So does that, did that help you with your pacing or your structure of your story in any manner? It helped me to watch while we were um, editing West of Memphis, which we had 300 hours of film, which wow. I had no idea when we got to the end of it that, that we had shot that much. And so trying to condense that down into two and a half hours or whatever long it is, um, and trying to figure out, literally you do have to, take that and, and get a narrative, get a story, have, have a, have a, a yeah. story running through it. Um, even if it is real life and a story that's taking place, um, as you're filming. And so that was interesting because we went through several uh, rounds of editing on that. Uh, uh, and just looking at the way that Fran Pete and Amy crafted that, um, to tell the story mm-hmm. of Memphis, that was, that was really interesting to me just to see how in the world do you (laughs) pare that down? Yes, it's it's literally, uh, yeah. I mean, you're talking about years of footage potentially being being used. Um, I think I've told you before, like I I watched all the documentaries from when I was a teenager. Um, My dad had HBO. And so at night I'd sneak out 
and go watch HBO when they were in bed. And, and I came across the first one, I believe. And having seen those, I think there was three of them, and then and then West of Memphis, what I appreciate about that is that it's a little less salacious than the other three to yeah. me. It's more, it's a bit more uplifting. And obviously, the end result is uplifting. It's a, it's a, it's relatively it's a happy ending. But um, even the structure of it, the focus on it was was a lot more human. I feel like than true crime, which I maybe you know, the other movies came out, the other documentaries kind of sort of came out before true crime was the big phenomenon it is now, but they're very much in that vein, the yes. whodunit kind of thing. Whereas yeah. this was more of a documentary about people mm-hmm. going through a really traumatic experience and and the light at the end of the tunnel, you know, after, after all the perseverance. Which I thought was the way that Fran and Pete ended up um, bringing to the table, which I thought, and you know, they're incredible storytellers. So we, I mean, going into it, we had that. And I think Amy Berg's documentaries are also very, um, she spends a lot of time on the character, on the character, what people are really like and, and digs deep into Mm -hmm. that. And I think that helps, but it was so interesting when Fran and Pete finally, because what we wanted to do with this film was educate people about the case and how it all went down and why, mm-hmm. why did this happen? And so what they said was, let's have the first part of the film make you sort of put people into the situation where they are, they would have been a, a, a townsperson in West Memphis when this happened or anyone. And so you're seeing mm-hmm. it and you're seeing mm-hmm. it how they're trying to make them look guilty. So there's that whole first part of the film is done that you think they might be guilty. And then we flip at, I don't know how 20 minutes in or something. I don't even know how long it is that but mm-hmm. basically what it is, is flipping into the investigation where we slowly take the case apart and for them to decide to do it that way that we were a little in the beginning, you know, you're a little bit, well, what if it turns people off from the very beginning? They don't watch the whole thing, but it ended up working perfectly. And, and I think it was a really right. good way to go about it to put that doubt into, into, into people's minds in the beginning so that when it is proven, it just makes it all the more, you know, just. It's, it's earned. I think, uh, you know, it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like it's pushing one, one perspective hard. Right. Uh, it, it really feels more like, and it's an interesting way to craft it. And, and, and I, not knowing that backstory and then remembering the film, it, it makes sense. It really, if you start with the seed of doubt, uh, uncertainty, and then, you know, because there were other people in the other documentaries that were pointed at and, you know, uh, and people, depending on which document they watched, when they might have a different opinion on who they think might've been the person who did it. But right. with this, it sort of starts you with, let's lay out what happened and, and sort of you know, submerse you in the world of being unsure. Right, and then let's start the investigation. Start, let's start revealing facts. It's almost like a mystery, really, in a sense, right? There's a crime, right. and then yep. there's the investigation, and then there's the third act, right? Yeah. And yep. so, by the time you get to the end, if there was any doubt at all, that that hopefully is erased because you've earned the trust and the faith and the belief that you know they were free and 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 that they should be free. And that right. they should be, they should receive justice for everything that they've been through. Yeah, yeah. What about you? I mean, did you, when you were like learning what 
and you're a line producer, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So how did you, what, what got you into learning how to do it? How did you, was it just? Oh. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I, I mean, I think, I think we all share similar stories, right? I'm from Corpus Christi. So we had Selena. That's kind of what we're most well known for. Um, mm-hmm. And years and years ago, they shot, before I was born, they shot um, The Legend of Billie Jean in Corpus Christi. So that, when I was growing up, that was like, you know, there's, when you're in a small town, as you know, like there's like little things you hang your hat on. So Farrah Fawcett went to the same high school my mom went to. Uh, they shot The Legend of Billie Jean in my hometown. These are all things predating me being of, of awareness. And then, um, and then of course, Selena came and went very briefly. She was very big in the Tejano world. Uh, but, but the idea of celebrity or film or art in any manner wasn't really an option. Like when I was growing up, I was thinking, well, my mom owns her own, her own business. I guess I could do that. Or I don't know, maybe at one point I want to be like a marine biologist, maybe. Yeah. Um, at one point I thought about being a lawyer. You know, I, I didn't really know. I had no clue what I want to do most of my life. Um, but I found that I was pretty good at working and managing from a pretty young age. Um, although when I was a manager at 19, I'm sure my friends who worked at the pizzeria that I was managing would disagree that I was very good at it, but I got better over time. So fast forward, uh, a, a few years and I was working at a, um, shoe store. I think it was one of the, I worked at two shoe stores at one point managing both. And I was sitting with my buddy, uh, and I, we were talking, we'd seen that movie Office Space. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene in Office Space where the lead character is like, he's, he's disenfranchised with his job and his life and everything about it. And the question is asked, what would you do with a million dollars, right? And then there's a blue joke and whatever. But the point of it is, is like, if money wasn't an option, what would you do with your life? How do yeah. you spend your time? And I just liked watching movies. And I, and I really loved the behind the scenes of films. Like I was really fascinated with the way the clock worked. And so that's nice and good, fine, great. But what? And so, and my buddy, by the way, wanted to be a lawyer. His, his name is Joel. And so shortly thereafter, I had a Christmas party. And uh, a, friend of, a friend brought her new boyfriend over. Who, and and he produced documentaries, smaller documentaries, but locally. And I was living in Austin at the time, and he he directed documentaries. And I'd never met anyone in the film industry before. That wasn't a real thing. It's like a Hollywood thing. Yeah. So we chatted, and then I was kind of inspired. And then I, around that same time, I picked up Robert Rodriguez's Rebel Without a Crew. And that was it. I decided I wanted to dabble at least. So my now brother-in-law, who was just my buddy at the time, and I, I bought a small GL1 uh, camera and um, and we made some really bad shorts, you know, silly things. And there's a there's a theater chain called Alamo Drafthouse that does these 24 and 48 hour film festivals. And we did a few of those. And sort of similar to the Tarantino story, I directed the zombie short. It's like 10 minutes long and I uh, had no money, of course. And uh, my brother-in-law filmed it and was an actor. My, she was already my ex-girlfriend at the time was in it as an mm-hmm. actress. And then the lead actor whom I cast as a uh, zombie killing priest, he didn't show up on the first day of filming. Oh. And I later, I later found out he, he was uh, hungover. 
So only one person could fit the outfit and knew all the dialogue, which was me because I wrote it. So I, I am not an actor, <laughs> but I made this film, I made yeah. this project and I was like directing and acting and I wrote it and everything. Right. I mean, I wanted to be Robert Rodriguez. I was for in, in my own little way. I was Robert Rodriguez. So, uh, put the film out, won an audience choice award. It's pretty cool. But at the end of it, I realized I had no idea what I was doing. Like I, I mean, I could, I could make something entertaining. I knew I had something, yeah. but I, I didn't know how to make a film in the proper way. Right. And so uh, I just started answering Facebook ads or not. There wasn't Facebook then really, I guess it was a like Craigslist ads Yeah. and working for free and working on music videos. And then uh, in the winter, I did that for about a year, year and a half. And then um, in the winter of 09, I got on a feature. I walked into the office. The same ex-girlfriend who was in my zombie short got hired as a hairdresser. And she was nervous about driving alone. And so I went with her just as a courtesy. And when I was in the office waiting for her while she was talking to the director, I said, I'll work for free. I just want to be on set and learn. And they were like, you're hired. So... Um, <laughs> Two days later, I got promoted to being the coordinator because the coordinator quit and I had management experience. And uh, it was a very, very short film, 11 days, I think we shot it in. And I met my really good friend, Jude Walko, who's been a mentor of mine and a brother. And then that was it. I just worked. I got laid off from my job at the time. I was working at yeah. a shoe store and they closed all the stores in the US, showed up and the doors were locked. And I said, okay, that's my sign. That's my sign. I can't do that. I can't keep the day job. I have to go now. Yeah. And I got my little severance package and I said, I'll, I'll, I'll do film. I won't, I don't care about what I get paid. I'll just do film until I run out of money. And when I run out of money, I can always go back to work retail or construction or whatever. I don't care. I'm not precious about that. And I never did. I just, I mean, I did run out of money lots of times, but I kind of stayed the course and there's been, you know, there's been some, some, some valleys and, and peaks along the way. When I met Jess, uh, we joke about this all the time. I was not what we would call on paper, a good prospect for marriage. <laughs> I was, uh, I just, I had just left a job. I was, I was, I had been in house for like six years at a production yeah. company. Mm -hmm. So I was back in the freelance world, much more experienced, but having been out of the game in terms of working freelance for a long time. And so I had no money. I was like struggling to get, uh, you know, traction. And I took, when I met Jess, I took her to her, I met her um, when she was visiting the first time when I met her, her birthday happened to be like at the end of her trip. And my birthday was like right before her trip. So we, our birthdays are like two weeks apart. So I took her to Universal Studios um, for her birthday. And I'd, I'd only known her like a week. And I had no money. I was like down to my last 200 bucks. I was so broke. I didn't tell her that at the time. Okay. So, and then right after she left, I, um, I, uh, uh, I got a job. And then, and then since then it's been, it's been a steady increase. And so, uh, you know, there's no, there's no, to me with film or, or, or any sort of creative endeavor, there's no right path. You know, mm -hmm. like I didn't do film school. I just searched. So I just got, I got the bug. I got that, that passion and I followed it almost to my own detriment, but, but never, but I just, I couldn't imagine doing anything else. Yeah. And so I just, I just kept doing it. And then I guess that 
people liked what I did and like got opportunities and those opportunities beget other opportunities and so on and so forth. And then I think we're going on your, I mean, I think I started doing shorts and, and, and working as an extra like in 2008. So we're going on 2022 oh, wow. oh. now. Yeah. Yeah. So it just, it just, you just had to start. Well, and it just goes to show too, once you found your will, what you're supposed to be doing, it didn't matter. Yeah. And, and also it sounds to me the way that you went about it, it weren't, it wasn't like you were grasping or, you know, trying to hold on so tight to what you let it flow. You just let it go. And then one thing would lead to another. And even if you went through those valleys or whatever, you just maintained your course. And I truly believe that's the only way to be successful at anything is first of all, just having, having that excitement, wanting it, wanting it, of course, but not yeah. attached to it. And that was a big lesson for me. I've, I've learned, I've had to learn so many lessons about letting it go or, and also not trying to control it. That, yeah. that was a big problem for yeah. me too, but I'm let, I'm, did I, I'm you let, no, go ahead. No, I said, but I'm learning. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, that's it. <laughs> that's all you can do. And, and that, and so that kind of brings us like what, I, one of the things that I love about your, your blog writing and I, I could see that you're like, it's just who you are. It's like what you're going through, but there's, there's such an honesty to it. There's such a, a, I always refer to it. I'm sure I've told you it's like chicken soup for the soul type writing. Like I never read those books, but like I, I know the premise of them and it feels like that for me. I like It him, feels yeah. like you're just sort of, you're bearing your soul. You're very optimistic. You don't, you don't cover up the warts, so to speak, but you, you let yourself pour out onto the page. And so uh, if you're, if you're creative writing, is anything like your your uh, your blog writing? Then I'm really excited to see kind of what what comes of it because it's it's got such a, a human touch to it. Thank you, thank you. So that means a lot to me. It really does. Um, but that that I kind of decided. Um, I remember when Damien and I put out Yours for Eternity, which is a book mm -hmm. about our letters that we wrote to each other and our editor had the toughest time with me because I wanted to cut out everything. I didn't want, it's like, I don't want sex in this book. She's like, Lori, come <laughs> like, I mean, I took out, it was like, I don't want my personal, she's like, this is a, this is a book about personal letters. What are you going to do? So I had to, <laughs> and it was excruciating for me because I really was, a very, very private person. And I didn't, I mean, even working on Damien's case, I wanted so badly to stay behind the scenes for so long because I'm not that person that's, you know, out there. It's, I, I love people who are and who can do that easily. Yeah. I just wasn't that person. Um, eventually I sort of had to make that decision that either someone spoke for him or no one was going to. So I, I, I ended up taking the role and starting to do some interviews. But after that book came out, and I think after just a few years, I, I started realizing that the hard stuff that we went through, and there was a lot of it, mm -hmm. um, if that if I could write stories about that, because everybody goes through hard things. And so if I could write mm -hmm. about that in a way that someone could read it and maybe think, okay, maybe I'll try that. Maybe that'll help me get through this. Or, you know, or even just 
having the recognition that everybody has these tremendously hard things to go through, which sometimes make us feel shameful because we feel like we're failing. Sure. Um, mm -hmm. But just to, just to let everybody off the hook a little bit. <laughs> and that's, that's yeah. what, and then I started just not caring that I'll write about the kind of very personal hard things. And it just, I don't feel, um, I don't feel that anymore. It's like, there's, I have nothing to lose really in writing yeah. well, and telling the truth. It, it feels like, yeah, I was going to say, it feels like truth. Mm. You know, I mean, there, again, there's a way to write about one's personal life. There's a way, there's a way to let people in yeah. from the perspective of marketing yes. where it's like, I'm going to show you a, a version of myself because it's enticing or it's salacious and therefore you will cast your eyes upon me. And I don't mm -hmm. get that sense. I've always gotten a sense of like, this is, it's almost a journal entry in a sense. It's like, yeah. let me bear my soul because someone else might relate. And I, you know, I've told you this, like there are so many times I've read a blog post of yours mm -hmm. and I'm like, I fucking needed to hear that right now. It's like, I don't know what you were thinking when you wrote it, but I needed that in my life because of something going on in my world that's private to me. Uh, and so I think it's it, your intent is very much coming across. That makes me so happy. And and I always appreciate your comments. It just makes me think, okay, someone's reading it out there and it's hopefully helping, but that, oh, means, yeah. that means so much to me. But that's the way we are going to go. So the Damien and I, um, so I wrote, this one story, which was, it was a, a, it was a fictional telling of our story, Damien's and my love story, which I turned it into more like a ghost story. I wanted it to be mm. that, I, that there was a character living in New York city. It's not, it wasn't me. I just, I wrote a character, but there was a character living there. And then the Damien character was in prison, but he got beaten so badly that he learned how to, leave his body. Like his soul could leave his body. He learned how to do it anytime he, mm -hmm. like the first time it happened, he was beaten horribly. And then, you know, it's sort of like astral projection, but almost death, that kind of leaving your right. body, mm -hmm. but he learned how to do it. Mm -hmm. And so he would start like, astro he would start traveling around the world, but he ended up falling in love with this person in New York city. So she thinks she's being haunted by a ghost, but it's actually just a consciousness that is coming to see her. And wow. Yeah. And that and she doesn't know that it's a real person somewhere. And so he's trying to get that message across to her that I'm really alive. I'm somewhere. So that was what the story was yeah. originally. Um, and then we started working with another writer and we worked on the ghost story for a couple of years. And then we just kind of looked at each other and said, let's just write the story. Let's write our story. But let's write all those mm -hmm parts that are hard that people don't know there's so many parts to this story you know that had, that went on for is still going on um that people don't know you know there were so many personal things and relationships and things that were going on that didn't have anything to do with the case and even things that had to do with the case that would blow people's minds it's like we had a lawyer we raised two hundred thousand dollars in damien's final year he had one year after he exhausted state remedies to file in federal court. And if you don't file in mm -hmm. time, you have to be down to the minute. It literally is. If you file 20 seconds after the clock strikes, whatever, then it doesn't matter if the person who created, who, who committed the crime comes up and, you know, you know, it's like, if you find evidence that says, you know, proves you're innocent, it doesn't matter. You're going to be executed. You cannot bring anything up 
Al Sub. We had a lawyer raise $200,000 to bring him on, stole all of that money in the six months into that year. And, and we don't tell anybody this. It's like, because it's So he yeah. stole all the money. He was working on a case in Guantanamo Bay. So he took it and used it down there. And I had to raise another $200,000 in literally two weeks to bring another attorney. It was like that kind of stuff, which was so crazy. Um, and other things. And we want to, that's what we want to do with it is tell, I'm not going to say that what people see in Paradise Lost or West of Memphis, it is the real story, but it's not our real story. So that's what we want to do. Right. It's the case. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Right. Yeah. Whereas this sounds like this is the story of, of the two of you the and, of uh, and, and the book that y'all wrote. I, yeah, exactly. And the book yeah. that you wrote, I've read it a couple of different times and it's just, you know, Jess and I obviously vastly different circumstances, but we were long distance for like three years. Yeah. And so I think that when, when you're able to put out, when you're able to expose yourself to a certain degree and, and show the world that like hard times aren't the end times, it, it can, someone will find something that relates to them and they'll, they'll be, get, be attached to it. Yeah. And if they pull that thread, then hopefully they realize that there's positivity and there's a positive approach to a lot of these hardships. And like you mentioned earlier, part of that's the, the letting go. But sometimes when you're caught in a, I was equated to, um, uh, what's that in, in the water? Like um, the tides, when, when you get yeah. riptide and yeah. when you're in the ocean and you get, you know, you just have to like relax for a little bit and let it take you and then swim sideways to get out of it. If you panic, you'll, you'll, you'll submerge. Right. And so uh, it's, I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of times when you all wanted to panic or <laughs> you just come to your, the end of your rope and it would have been easy to just toss the hands up and let the tide come over you, but you persevered. And that's pretty amazing that you're, that you're sharing that and you're presenting it in a way that, that is uh, also doubles as something that you're personally passionate about, which is film. Right. Which is, I mean, it, you just, that's it. It's everything I've ever, you know, it's interesting how you knew you wanted to work in the industry once you learned about film and, and, and saw, you mm -hmm. knew you wanted to get in there and see what's happening behind the scenes and see how this is done. I was exactly the opposite. I'd seen so many films in my life. Like, I, I mean, I can't even tell you. Sometimes I'd see 10 a week, you know, and I'm going to, I'm not talking like just one. <laughs> I'd go to theaters and see 10 a week. Um, yeah. But I never, that was the thing I thought, I don't ever want to be a part of the process because that will destroy the magic for me. And then. Yeah, it can. Then, <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And then, but then I thought, but then as time went on and the story started, you know, we, we had this whole, you know, years and years and years of the story. It did, a, it did, it started, think, I started thinking, why shouldn't I make a film? Why shouldn't I? do a, you know, a series or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. How fun would that be? You know, you've, you've watched, I mean, I am completely um, self-educated in film, but I, I've seen so many and spent so much of my time, you know, I would get obsessed with one director and see everything here. I do the same thing with books though. Like <laughs> I'll read an author. I will yeah. find every, like even the most hard to find, like, essays they wrote. I, I love doing that, reading 
the whole, you know, a whole catalog of someone's work and learning from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what are yeah, your, yeah. there's a, there's a, okay. No, I was going to, no, <laughs> I was going to ask you, um, I want to hear what you were going to say though first, cause I'm going to switch. Oh, I was just going to say, I'm, I understand that entirely because I will oftentimes, uh, do this constantly. If I hear something, whether it's in a live stream or it's a movie I'm watching or something, I'll then go Wikipedia and I can just get in rabbit holes. I want to know everything about everything. Mm-hmm. Like I'll, I'll listen to, I'll watch a movie. I can't be satisfied with watching a movie. If, if I like the movie, then the second I'm done with the movie, I'm looking up Easter eggs in the movie or I'm looking up <laughs> intent or I'm looking, I just, it's, it's, it's a deception I think that I probably have with stuff that I get into and I dive deep into it because the cool thing about art to me, any kind of art, book, painting, film, obviously, is that the art itself, the forward facing is only a part of it, right? It's like those memes you see with the iceberg. There's like a tip above the water and the rest <laughs> yeah. is like, a, there's so much more beneath. Yeah. I kind of feel that way about art. And so, um, you know, like that Tarantino interview I was listening to earlier or hearing about sort of the motivation of arcs within uh, West of Memphis, like, that stuff fascinates me and it's, I, it's different, but it's on the same level as the story itself for me in some regard. It's just yeah. as fascinating. And I, I so get that because it literally is not only just the building of the story or what, or the, or the decisions that were made into how it's put together, the structure of it and all that. But then I always think about mm-hmm. too, it's like, okay, what was personally going on with the director and you know, how long did it take him or her yeah. to, you know, write this or what, what, you know, what came up that sidetracked them or how was, how did they decide to cast this person or not that person? And, and, you know, it's all of it. I'm the same way. I'm fascinated by the whole experience of it now, you know, just looking at all the different ways mm-hmm. it's put together. Um, and, and just, I don't know. There's just nothing like a, a really good story. Do you watch films over and over again? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> till, till the tape runs thread. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm an obsessive person sometimes. Yeah, I mean, if like I've, you know, there's certain films that I'll watch ten times, fifteen times. I mean, like Dark City, The Crow, uh, Inception, um, Blade Runner is my favorite film of all time. I've watched that a million times. Um, you know, pretty much any Tarantino film, any Robert Rodriguez film, minus the kids stuff, doesn't really get to me. But those, there's something about revisiting them. Yeah. Like you've kind of fallen like with 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 a a a movie that does storytelling in its best way possible, that really maximizes what film or or any kind of medium can do in, in terms of storytelling. When it's done right, you you form a bond in yeah. some way with the characters. You 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 form a relationship and. Uh, it's like an old friend. You, you periodically check in to see how they're doing. Even though it's the same story you've seen a bunch of times, you just want to be in their presence. Yes. You just want to sort of be in their presence for a little while and kind of feel that energy and go back to the place probably from when you first saw the film or yeah. or mark the change. Yeah. Right? Like I saw Dark City in theaters when I was 17 maybe, I think, something like that. And so uh, watching it at 17 versus watching it at 40 is a pretty different distinction. But 
there's still some magic there. And I always remember that tiny little art house theater mm-hmm. that I saw it the first time in. No matter how many times I watch it, no matter what medium I watch it on, I always remember this. So there's this familiarity that you're coming back to, and it's very warm oftentimes. I am so um, strangely ritualistic with it, too. Like, I'll go see, mm-hmm. say, when I was in Arkansas, I saw, I mean, film, just, it's always, my whole life it saved me, but when I was in Arkansas, movies were, you know, I just, it was, they were everything. Like, I, Lost in Translation came out. I saw it every mm. Tuesday for about, it ran for, I don't know, a couple of months. So I saw it, like, it, for two months, every Tuesday night, at the same time, I'd sit in the same seat, and I'd watch it. It <laughs> helped me so much just because I just felt really ostracized when I was down there for a lot of the time. And so that movie spoke to me. But then I remember being in, when I was really young, uh, A Room with a View came out and I Mm. loved that movie so much. I was still, I don't even, I was, I can't remember how old I was. I think I was still in school, but I decided to take a, a trip up the East Coast and see it in every theater that was showing it, just to wow. see how the, how mm-hmm. the audience would react to it. And some audiences just didn't get it. Other audiences would laugh at certain parts. And so I just got to know the film in a different way with different audiences. And that was always something I liked to yeah. do, too, is just see different movies. Like I saw, um, I remember I was in Paris and I went to sing, see um, Chungking Express in France. And so mm-hmm. it was a Chinese yep. movie with French subtitles and I didn't understand any of it, but I loved it so much. <laughs> and I've seen it so many times since, but I'm, I love that. It's like, I'm ritualistic. The, no, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I was going to say the theater. I mean, I, I know I sound so pretentious every time I reel about the importance of theater, but like to me, there's a, an, and I'll use language that I've, I've really only come to know in the last two years or so. But it's like a temple yeah. and there's an energy that you're feeding off of that you just cannot. And I, I know that I'm a dying breed, but you cannot get it home. It is just different when you're in a theater. Number one, it commands your attention for two hours. Hopefully people stay off their phones. They, they, they stop talking and they just focus. Yeah. The, the darkened area, the smell of the popcorn, the feel of the seats, the, the crackle of this of the sound like it, it's it's like when you listen to vinyl yeah in some regards it's like it's, it's it just it's it cannot and has not been replicated digitally at home Mm-mm. now that doesn't mean i can't enjoy a movie at home right yeah. blade runner's not in theaters anymore so i have to but that experience of being in this collective environment where you're not only experiencing it for yourself but you're experiencing everyone's like every joke is funnier. Every sad moment is sadder. Every uh, thrill-seeking moment has you more gripping your seat. And uh, there's a there is a there is a magic that comes from that. When when I was young, I had there was a daughter theater near our house, and um, and mom would let me when I was like fairly young, like ten or twelve. I don't know if people do that anymore with their kids. But when I was fairly young, mom would let me either walk to the comic book shop, which was to the left. Or the dollar cinema, which was to the right, and it was about a mile each way. Yeah. And back then, it was a do- it was literally a dollar cinema. You paid a dollar, mm-hmm. and so I would use my five dollar allowance that I got, and I would probably spend two or three bucks at the comic book store, and the other two bucks at the 
movie theater. And I would just sit there by myself. And I love sitting there by myself. It's actually my, as much as I love seeing things with my partner, it is my preferred way to watch a film because it's a different experience for me when I'm, when I'm sitting there in silence in a quiet theater and just, you know, there's just, again, there's a magic there. there. And, And now I have language to understand that you're building an egregore in a theater you're building uh, a collective, you know, uh, sentient energy source and that you can tap into that yeah. in ways that you just won't get potentially somewhere else. That's right. And, and I'm I so get, I mean, I'm the same way I go see, I love seeing movies by myself. Seeing movies with Damien is different just because he has different taste and I'll go see his films and I'm, they're okay. But I have always known <laughs> <laughs> like, I'll see, like I used to read, like I would go to the New Yorker and read all of the reviews and whatever. I loved Pauline Kael. I mean, she was a tough critic, but, you know, Mm -hmm. I grew up reading her. But I will, I love doing that because what I'll do is I'll zero in. I'll know. I'll be led to the one I'm supposed to be seeing. And it's always right. And when I was in New York, it was easy because you had your, you know, so many places you could go see a film. But even going to see it, like, walking like getting on the subway and walking down the street and know I'm going to this theater but what you were saying mm-hmm. is so true because once another thing about it is it's like a fixed point in time you're not going to be able to turn it off and go get a snack or whatever it's just going to keep going no. no matter what you're in this dark place it's 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 only there for a certain amount of time and then it's going to be over and it is like magic but I sometimes when the lights would go down would have made huge life decisions just seeing a movie because Mm -hmm. something in the movie would Mm -hmm. speak to me and say, okay, okay, time to get married, (laughs) which did happen when I was in Arkansas and, or I'll see another movie. Oh my goodness. I have to fire this, you know, lawyer, all of that. I would just, I just would get messages through them. And, you know, and that's also just this, you know, it's also a part of the magic. It's you're so tapped into these characters and what's going on in the film. And sometimes they very much coincide with what your life is. And sometimes I think that's why we choose the films we watch. Um, not always. Or they but, choose us. Pardon? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or, said, or they choose us. They do. Yes, they do. Have you ever seen a film yeah. that you, have you ever walked out? Do you ever walk out? So it's funny that you mentioned that. Uh, no, I'm, I'm well. Yes, I have, um, but I'm 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 generally a big believer of of the the reverence of theater, and therefore, if you walk into the theater, you you watch it. Um, I grew up playing orchestra too, so I have that mentality of performance. Like once the music started, you sit down and you you know you wait to intermission to leave. Um, but I I have uh, I've walked out of one movie as a child, so I really blame my dad. Uh, and I fell asleep at another movie. <laughs> so uh, my dad took me to go see Battlefield Earth when I was a kid with John Travolta and Forrest Whitaker. It was like one of the, the critically worst movies of all time, right? Yeah. And um, and I do remember we walked out of that, which is crazy because my dad loves John Travolta. You know, like dad grew up in the 70s. So like he's a big fan and even he couldn't take it and we, we left. <laughs> so that was one time. And then um, I I can't do I, I'm progressively it's harder for me to do these Marvel films and these DC films like the superhero CGI monster stuff. Mm-hmm. They're fine and they were cool when they first came out because it was like oh it's this thing I liked when I was a kid and I can see it in 
this yeah. glorious format. But um, when I went to go see Man of Steel, which was a DC film, I fell asleep twice. I, and I never fall asleep in a film. And I was just, I, it was the constant barrage of just noise. It was just like punch, 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 smash, 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 CGI. And I just, I literally lulled me to sleep twice. Someone woke me up. And then within seconds, I was out again. I could not. Yeah. It's like when children hear loud noises and they pass out. That was me. I just, I yeah. tuned out everything. And I was like, I can't deal with this anymore. Yeah. Uh, and I, I could never watch that film. I just, it just wasn't, you know, but, but. Again, I I try to be selective about what I watch, and I try to I try to go into watching a film, trying to understand what the filmmaker's trying to do, and not what I would do. Yeah, because what I would do and what he and he or she would do are completely different. And to me, the success of a film is really buoyed on what was the intent, and what was the execution, and what was the reception. Yeah, and so in none of those areas is it really about what I would do. It's not about me at all. It's about the filmmaker. And so that really helps me enjoy a, a, a multitude of types of films, even if there's films I wouldn't normally gravitate towards because I'll start thinking like, what's, what are they trying to say? Mm-hmm. What are they trying to do? Is, yeah. Even if it's just dumb entertainment, like, right. is it like a, one of those Marvel movies? Like, am I just supposed to turn my brain off for two hours and see a smash them up? Cool. Then maybe it worked. Right. Was mm-hmm. I entertained? Did, I, did, did my $16 ticket feel validated? Great. Then it was a success, right? Yeah, yeah. Doesn't mean I'll love it as a, as a work of art, but, but yeah, I try to, I try to approach it from that. And I try to approach most art from that perspective, Yeah, especially so, as I get older. Yeah, I do too. Because <laughs> I, because I think the artist, I think, I think being an artist, and again, this it's weird because it's a term that people shy away from. Um, but being an artist is fascinating to me. Like being able to do art for a living, to do art through all aspects of your life. That's always been really fascinating to me. I used to love Andy Warhol's Silver Factory stories and oh, yeah. things like that. So, <laughs> yeah. So I I um, I try to be really gracious to artists because it's, I know, and especially now, like I know how hard it is to do this and how much goes into it and how many hours and how much sleep I've given up and how much weight I've gained and how much grays I'm starting to get in my hair. Like I know all that goes into it now. So it actually makes me appreciate it. We mentioned earlier, like if you work in film, it might take some of the magic away. And sometimes it does take the luster out when you have a bad day, but it also, it also really drives home how difficult it is. And therefore in some regards makes me feel closer to the work or more respectful because I know how, how much passion goes into it. Right. And I think that's going to be an interesting, a really interesting journey for me on this next project I'm going to be, that I'm going to work on because, you know, I've never, I've been on film sets, but I've never actually been Mm -hmm. a part of it. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, with Memphis, I was, I was actually, I should say, but that was kind of different just because I was in it and I was, it was just a different, I wasn't dealing with, you know, all of, all of the um, different aspects or uh, that go into making Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Something so that's going to be interesting to me because uh, I know I mean I've seen how it's just such hard work you know all day long yeah. and so yeah it's going to be it's, I'm up for it finally I wouldn't Lots have been of coffee and tea <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah that's so cool it's cool that and it's and it's it's really fun knowing that you 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 found your path there 
It's a passion. It's something you'd love. Even if you never worked on a film, you'd, you'd still do that same thing. And now you get to be a part of it. Yeah. Now you get to come in. And I, I'm a real firm believer that the gates, there's no such thing as gates, really. Like, mm -hmm. if you want to be a part of film and you're passionate, you will. I've seen yeah. it happen many, many times. Yeah. And um, and it's pretty cool to see something that you imagined, that you dreamed of, then come to life on screen. Yeah. And, and you'll, there'll be sacrifices. You'll kill your baby for sure. <laughs> um, but... But it's it's all part of the process, right? It's like uh, it's like working out. You're going to be sore the next day, but it's worth it because because the end result, right? Yeah, and also just that collab the collaboration aspect of it, working with different people. Yeah. And I feel like you know, and that's another thing I really wanted to work on in my life was just being able to sometimes just sit back and let someone else, you know. Do Because so, I felt like, you know, for the longest time in my life working on the case, I felt so much pressure to just keep things going and to be constantly, mm -hmm. you know, all these plates spinning all the time. And, you know, I'm kind of the, not to say that I'm the only one working on, I wasn't the only one working on the case, but I was the only one that was sort of constantly keeping it going and constantly being that right. squeaky wheel, you know, for people to, you know, this, that, whatever. And this will be so different because I don't have to be that person. <laughs> I can let, yeah. you know, let this person do their job, let that person do their job and to see how it all comes together. And that's going to be, that is going to, I think that's going to be interesting is just seeing how people do their work and how they see the project and the ideas they have. Right. And I would have, and I obviously I don't know much about like landscape architecture, but I would guess in some regards, it's similar in that you bring, you bring a draft of what you env envisioned in your mind. And mm -hmm. then there's the physical work of putting it together and it may not ever be exactly, but, but that little, the, the little contributions from everyone can make it something potentially greater than even, you know, there's always that we sit on set. We talk about the happy accidents happen yeah. all the time, all it's, the time, you know? That, yeah. That's such a great um, way to look at it because it's true. As a landscape architect, what you would do is you have concept, which is what you'd think about. You'd look at this piece of land or whatever, and you'd think, "What should we? What should this be? What?" Should, and you'd study it and see how you know just the topography and whatever else. Where if there's a structure on it, whatever, and then you, and then you'd go to doing the master plan, which is a full on, you know, rendered drawing of what this is going to look like. And then you take it apart, which is what you have to do with, you know, right. scenes and all this. You have to take every aspect of that thing apart and draw a detail for it. So you know how it fits together. So you know how, but you go through that for like two years working on that part. And then you just mm -hmm. give it. Then you just give it to a bunch of contractors, right? Who are supposed to build it. But that is where the magic happens because some of those contractors may know much better way to put together a stone wall than I do or a different way to do something. And that is, that's, that's, I love that kind of collaboration. I love being able to be open to that. So that is going to be, it's going to be fun. Yeah. And it's, it's a, it's a matter of perspective too going into it with that perspective and that attitude will help you maximize those moments and see and appreciate the differences and the things that come out of nothing. You know, the things that come out of um, a, a difference in your vision or, or whatever it may be. Yeah. 
there's one perspective that you could say, no, it has to be exactly which will never will be. No. Or to kind of go back to this theme of letting go, you kind of let go of it a little bit. Yeah. You know, you've built it and you let go and you'll be involved, obviously, and, and there'll be decisions to make, but you can you can be flexible to allow the happy accidents to occur to that that might give you something that you didn't think was going to be there before. Right. And I think magic, the actual practice of magic comes into it, too, because, mm-hmm. you know, if you really, um, you know, this creation is coming out of you. But then when you have multiple points of view and manifestations that are going on, they've all got their dream too. They're there for a reason. You've all come together because Mm -hmm. you're all manifesting whatever you want in your life. And so that kind of a collaboration, when you look at it magically, if everyone could just let go of it and let it flow and do what it's supposed to be doing, can you imagine um, how, what, what that, I mean, I'm sure there've been sets that are like that. I don't know how many, but um, Best case scenario. <laughs> Best case scenario for sure. <laughs> but you know, but you know, I it's funny that you bring up the, the actual practice of magic because I, I don't know that I I would have admitted it at the time, but when I started practicing magic in earnest, I I think if I hadn't when I did, I don't know how much longer I'd be doing film because I was at peak burnout. You know, I had I had bought high magic months before I read it, which is, as you can see back here, typical. I I collect books and I don't read nearly as fast enough to catch up with these. But I I had a job in Georgia and I don't know why I took it with me because I hadn't really, I mean, I probably thumbed through it a little bit, but I hadn't really sat down and, because it's a little bit of an instructional. So I hadn't really sat down and given it that dedication. Uh, but in the stuff that I took with me, I, I took that. And um and then the pandemic happened and yeah. I'd had a run of hard shows. Like I'd had a, I'd had a run of shows where I was just that feeling that you have of like always being the squeaky wheel. Like if you don't, if you don't, if you're not passionate about it, no one else is going to really care. Yeah. That was kind of my burden for a long time. And I felt like I cared a lot more than some of the other folks. And I was working with creative that were being very inflexible and, um, I wasn't happy. In fact, yeah. I, I would go so far as to say I was pretty miserable and I was very stressed. I was very angry. And um, like, you know, I'm not a screamer, but there was a couple of screaming matches that occurred, uh, you know, just people being difficult. Yeah. And uh, there's a way to handle it and there's a way not to. And I was, I was thinned. I was thinned out. You know, my mom used to describe it as a, having a cup and you put water in it. And at a certain point, the water's, at the top and a single drop and it will overfill. And I was at that stage yeah. where I was just burnt, burnt out. Like my partner, I don't know when she's coming home because now we have a pandemic and I'm, I've been dealing with jerks on these sets and I'm tired and I'm out of shape because I eat burritos every morning to satiate my stress. And this is yeah. a cycle. Yeah. And then, uh, and then, and not to be weird, but I, before the pandemic happened, so desperately wanted to go home. Yeah. I just, I needed to get home. I was, I just what, did not want to be there. I wasn't going to quit, but I didn't want to be there. I was tired. I needed to hop off the train for a little bit yeah. to recalibrate. Uh, and then the world just shut down and I got that time. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and I got the, and I got the time to practice and learn and follow both of you all's Patreons. And, um, 
And then since then, it's not like I haven't had hard sets because I did just the last two, in fact, were difficult, but they were just hard. They weren't like, they weren't like soul crushing. Right. You know, not anymore. And, and and, um, even from the first one this year to the second one, I could just feel my, like, I'm so, I'm just happy to be there in some regard. Yeah. Like I'm, 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 I'm proud of what I'm doing, even if sometimes I've got to, you know, be, be the hammer, which sometimes is part of my job, you know, and I'm, I'm very, uh, I'm very big on professionalism and efficiency and I, I I care too much, right? I care a lot always. That's just who I am, which can burn you out. Mm Mm-hmm. But I've learned to just sort of like chill out a little bit and just take it a little easier and like just remember that there are other people doing their thing and they've got their own perspective and I'm never over budget. So what am I stressing for? It's cool. Just learn to enjoy this because you could be laying bricks or whatever, right? You could be doing something else. And I'm fortunate enough to do what I love, what I would be doing for free if I didn't have to worry about bills. Right. So. So uh, um, it, there is that there's that synchronicity there that that comes together and, and one helps the other in lots of ways. And then sometimes I hide in my trailer and I do like an OBRP if I'm having a really bad day, you know, I'll just like leave me alone for 15 minutes and let me just do this. And then. But that is cool. amazing. So, I'm, yeah, it's the same way because I now I mean, I use those practices, too. And the fact that you have access to these things you can do that can bring you back to mm-hmm. just being Right. Just being in the moment, yeah. knowing that nothing is really happening right now. I'm okay. We're all okay. Yeah. But you had that moment of it's like I always call it sort of the buffer it brings you because it allows me that moment to just not react. To just suddenly just yeah. you know, whatever yeah. I'm gonna do, I'll invoke angels around me, whatever I need to do to just sort of have that moment um where I don't react. Yeah. Because I used to be a big reactor. I draw Raz yeah, what? me too. <laughs> I, said, I, I was going to say, yeah, me too. But I was going to also say, I uh, I invoke a lot of Raziel when I'm filming. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. I'm spent so much, right? I get up at four in the morning and I drive to work. And, and, and you know, the, like, I'm sure this happened to some degree on the documentary, but like my phone doesn't stop. Yeah. You know, ever. Like yeah. when I wake up, there's messages. When I'm on the drive there, there's messages. When I arrive, there's an issue, yeah. you know, just no nonstop. And I know that and I accept it. And I always tell my friends, like, once I'm on a film set, I'll see you guys in two months. <laughs> don't forget I exist and I'll be back, you know? Yeah. yeah. But, but drawing that sort of replenishing energy is really helpful for me. It's made such a profound difference in just getting through some of those more stressful moments. And then also recognizing that even people who irritate me and, and that's, that can be easy for me. Um, they're just me. They're just another version of me and I am them. And, you know, not yeah. to go super hippie, but that's just the reality of it. Why it am I is. mad at this yeah. other vessel of the same thing? You the know, same thing. there's no so need for it. I was just yeah. reading this. I love this this woman I've been reading and I've been writing a lot. I've been inspired to write from her book. But one of my favorite things I just read that she wrote is if you look at everyone else as just a, you know, they're doing their own manifestation of whatever God is manifesting through them, right? Everyone in the world, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever they're doing, whatever stage they're in. So who am I to judge how God is manifesting through this person? 
other than me. And it's like, yeah. uh, is, that was so helpful to me to, to think about it in that way. I mean, someone could have looked at me 15 years ago and thought, God, that person's really messed up, you know, or whatever, um, or judged me yeah. for the way I was behaving. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so now I'd, I'd, I'd find myself looking at other people. And I think also trauma does that too. Trauma makes you look at every, at other yeah. people with a little more compassion because no matter what, most people, if they're angry or if, you know, they're irritating in whatever form, it's because they're in some kind of pain or they've been traumatized or there's something going on that just doesn't, it, they just don't have whatever it is to be able to see beyond that. And so it, it helps me to deal with people easier when I, when yeah. I think in that way. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. I'm still learning that one. I'm still working on it. <laughs> I'm at this point in my life where I am it's weird to, for me to say, but I'm middle-aged, right? Mm-hmm. I probably got, I, I, I'm, I'm going very quickly towards 41 and if I'm lucky, I got another 40, 30, 45 years in me left. Mm-hmm. So yeah. like I'm at the halfway point and I'm becoming an old guy yelling at clouds at, at times. I recognize like I'm a little bit of a curmudgeon, <laughs> especially online. So like I, um, <laughs> I find myself often having to remind myself that if I had seen myself at 25, I'd probably think I was an idiot too. <laughs> and I, and I will hope that when I'm 55, I look back at myself at 40 and think that I was an idiot at 40 because I've progressed <laughs> yeah. so much. Yeah. But it's hard sometimes because you, you, I've been very fortunate that certain people have come into my life. uh, be it various manners and they have led me to a place where I'm probably at the happiest I've ever been in my entire life within the last two years. So if not for all those moments where I wasn't happy and all those people who, who happened upon my life in various stages, um, I wouldn't be at this point. Not everyone is that lucky. Right. Not everyone meets a Jude Walko who then shows him how to be a filmmaker. He didn't have to do that. Yeah. You know, like when I met Jude on that first film set, um, he hired, he, he basically had me as his key set PA and I was also the office coordinator. So I was like doing two jobs at once. And, um, and Jude basically would be like, stand right next to me and echo everything I do. (laughs) And then we did that film. And um, this is in Austin. And he was producing a, uh, a horror film, low budget, for his uh, college roommate, his old comic college roommate. Excuse me. And um, he's like, I won't pay you, but I'll teach you. If yeah. you want to come to California and work on this film, I'll feed you, I'll house you, and I'll teach you. Uh, but you're not going to get paid. It'll be deferred and you'll never see it. I was like, okay, cool. Yeah, fine. I'll do it. So if those moments don't happen, then I'm not here. Yeah. And not everyone has either either has those people who come into their life or makes the right decision when those people do come into their life. Right. And so sometimes when I see things online, specifically online, but in real life too, when I leave the house uh, and I, I see something that's like behavior that's not becoming to me, or I think it's the wrong approach or whatever it may be. I ask, I have to remember that I'm looking at it from, a perspective of 40 years on this earth. I'm looking at it per, uh, from the perspective of being from the South. I'm looking at it from the perspective of now living on the West coast in a major city. 
I'm looking at it from all these very unique perspectives that have defined my viewpoint that someone else may not have. Right. Or they're having a bad day and yeah. I have bad days. Right. And so I try to check my behavior and, and, and I've learned sometimes the best defense when you're feeling yourself acting out of the character that you want to be, is just to back off. Yeah. Like, you know, yep. tried and true. Like if you have nothing nice to say, say nothing. Right. And so uh, as it applies to social media, that might just be a block button or a mute button or whatever, but I just don't need to engage. I just right. don't need to engage and, you know, <laughs> try to keep in mind that it's not worth that drain of my energy to combat someone else's will of how they're approaching life. Maybe in 10 years, they're going to be like, oh, so fucking dumb. But, you know, <laughs> right at the moment, this is where they're at. Just like when I was... 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you know, I'm yep. sure I did all kinds of stuff that I would cringe at now. Oh, I know I did. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I can look to it probably about a week ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, because it's like it's never ending. And I also find that when you are aware of things that you want to change in your life and you want to work on them, that it's hard. That's hard. Those things are sometimes feel like hardwired. You get them from your family. You get them from all kinds of different, you know, environmental things in your life. And yeah. it's hard. It can be hard. But I think there's no better work. Yeah. No. <laughs> right. I mean, what else are we here for? That's right. Right. To, to grow. Movie. To make movies. To learn. <laughs> and to, yeah. to, to make movies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and to watch them. <laughs> and to watch them. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so what inspired the specific, the blog writing? Because obviously screenwriting, that makes perfect sense. Like you love film, but, but again, uh, you know, you're with your Patreon, uh, which again, if people are not subscribed to you, they should, because it's, it's going to, it's going to enrich their life. I guarantee it. But, but what was like, what was the sort of um, motivation to sort of, add that aspect was it just to write to have something to write or did you feel like you had to get something kind of off your chest it started out um as just that first of all the the discipline of when i say i'm going to write so many pieces a month or whatever to you know anyone mm -hmm. who um i'm sorry my you see someone just came up here uh anyway uh, i <laughs> Um, so it started out that I, um, wanted to see what it was like to just put writing out to, to people who would want to read it and how I'd feel about that. Cause mm -hmm. I'd never, everything I'd written, I'd never shared it with anyone or had readers or anything like that. So it's also, it's kind of that in a way to getting over that fear. And then secondly, the discipline mm -hmm. of it. So I knew I had to write a certain number of pieces each month. And then third, just literally to practice writing, just to make myself sit down and write, even if it's just once a week. Um, I think it's important to write every day, but just knowing that at least I'm going to do that. And then after t over time, it became more about, like you said, expressing kind of just my growth as far as spiritually. And sometimes I'll write a story, but I, I just kind of, I, I just really got drawn into writing things that I thought could be helpful as opposed to just writing just to practice or to put it out there. It, it, it took mm -hmm. on a whole different meaning for me. 
Um, I've, I think I've been doing it for like two years. I'm not sure. Uh, but it has, yeah. and like anything else, it's a, it's just a process and it changed over time. And now right. I, 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 um, it, it becomes sort of the, it's a thing I think about all week. It's like, what am I going to write about this week? And I'll watch my life and see how things are going. And, and so believe me, something will always present itself. Sometimes a writer, sometimes a reader will right. request me to write something. Um, those are kind of harder for me, but I like the challenge. Well, and I think also sometimes when you're, I'm, I, I just believe that when you, if you want to be a writer, you have to write. Yeah. You have to write every, you know, as often as you can. And I also feel like most uh, in this current society, there's not a lot of good mediums for deeper conversation or deeper expression. Um, I, I find that like uh, uh, sometimes people try to have really in-depth thoughts or expressions or conversations on like social media, for example, and it's like the worst place to have it. Yeah. You know, you can't, you can't really express yourself fully. You don't, have the you don't give yourself the, the the allowance of time to formulate your thought and to really look back at what you wrote and and ask yourself if that's what you actually wanted to say or if you're just sort of speaking off the cuff or stream of conscious and um, in the blog format it it allows you that freedom to mm-hmm. sort of say I have an idea and I'm sure this process happens with you you might start one direction and then halfway through the writing, you've realized that it's sort of taken itself on its own path. Yeah. yeah. And, and that, that kind of discovery is really fun. Do you like, I really like to do research. Do you like research? Mm-hmm. There's just something about, and it's so funny because back before I met Damien, I was reading the book Possession by A.S. Byatt. And that book is all about mm-hmm. research, about these two people trying to research and find out about this, whatever, this, I think there were letters or something. But um, so they're doing all this research in the, in, the, in the library in London. And I just love the thought of that. And I remember saying to myself, I was, I, you know how you remember things you, you were just talking about. Sometimes you just can remember mm-hmm. things so clearly. I remember walking down the street in Brooklyn and thinking to myself, that's what I want my life to be. I just want to do research all the time. Literally like six months later, I met Damien and then I was like put into this life of research. (laughs) That's all I did for the next. You should have been specific about what kind of research. (laughs) Exactly. But I find now when I write, I I really love, like I come upon something. Oh, and something um, for anyone who is there. Truly Joyce Carol Oates um, masterclass is so great mm-hmm. because she goes into all of this. She talks about how she does research. Like she'll, you know, want to know, say she's writing something in a specific time, then she'll research how the shoes went on, how you would find all of those things and mm. those details she puts into her stories. And you can really feel that when someone hat knows the knowledge of what was happening at the time and those details that they can put into it. It makes such a different, all the difference in reading something. So I like, I like that. I like doing research for writing. Yeah. It, it also sort of immerses you in the world of whatever you're writing, whether it's a period thing or if it's a topic I've, I actually, I started writing a blog. I got a little inconsistent the last two, three weeks with filming and everything, but uh, part of it, 
I was I was inspired ironically by at the time Jess was watch rewatching Sex in the City. Mm-hmm. And you know how the cold open of every show is like her little she's writing about whatever and then the, the episode plays out. So yeah. I was like, oh man, I, I used to like writing. I'll write. I'll you know, I'm tired of talking on social media. Like I'll write, you know, once a week. Yeah. And then of course, uh your blog, your your writing really inspired me because I really like the style that you use and that you're just kind of sharing. And so um, I found that the the articles that I write that I like the best are the ones where I've done some research on it. Yeah. So I'll, again, kind of in the same way that I, I approach this podcast, I'll go into it with a vague idea of what I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. And then I'll just start looking it up. Oh, let me look yeah. up uh, articles on whatever, whatever it may be. Yeah. And as I read those articles, it will kind of help shift and guide my, my voice. And then I'll get, I, I try to, I try to do like 1500 words. Sometimes more often than not, I'm, I'm a little bit more, but um, I find that I feel more satisfied when I'm, cause it's not about I, what I don't want to be is just giving my opinion. Cause who, who gives a fuck about my opinion to be honest, you know, like who cares? It's just another person who has a perspective on life trying to, be an influencer of some sort. I'm not interested in that. <laughs> I do have, I do have a perspective though. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I feel like I can find good resources. So in a lot of ways, I'm more, unless I, I try to tell people this, that, or the other, and I'm more asking myself a question and it's almost like I'm talking to myself. Yeah. Like I'm debating this thing and I'm going to do research and I'm going to talk about this thing and I'm gonna imp- and I'm gonna learn about it, and in the process, I'm sharing this experience with whoever whoever finds it interesting or not interesting, you know. Uh, and it gives me an excuse to sit and write down. And what's wrong with that? Nothing at all. And that's the thing. I think there's so many of us out here who are interested in that kind of writing and that kind of storytelling because it we people they know when something's been researched well or that the writer knows what they're writing about. One of my favorite series of books, and not many people know these, but it's um, a series of detective novels of all things, uh, of a British writer. Mm. And the uh, protagonist is this young woman named Maisie Dobbs. Well, the writer, this her story happens between the two world wars in England. So every single mm-hmm. book, has something about the war, something about the soldiers, something about what was going on during that time with espionage or whatever. I find myself like with those books, spending more time researching a building she describes or some cakes that they had mm-hmm. in the cafe, <laughs> or I want to know what all these things are, what they look like, what the descriptions of, you know, and of course the internet's amazing for us now because before I would have been in the library, you know, you'd be right. looking up things, but now you can just be reading and you know, look it up and see it. <clears throat> Excuse me. But, um, but also that it, 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 in some ways it's a bit, it can be frustrating because, you know, you just want to read sometimes <laughs> instead of like looking everything up. Yeah. <laughs> but my mind won't let. That's, that's the danger of it though. It really is. It is. No, when when you have a passion for it, it's so we were talking about that with the movies, right? Right. Like you can't just watch the movie. Like you're just not satisfied watching the two hour flick. You've got to go and dive into the world because you just you you're compelled to be immersed. Exactly. 
and and it, and what better way to feel than immer- immersed in what you love and what you want to do in, in 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 any way that you can yeah and just constantly learning about it yeah but and i think it's it's quite obvious that we we as we the collective we built a society that doesn't really lend itself to this mm-hmm. this sort of style of living Mm-mm. um you know i was just talking to i was talking to my friend yesterday in fact uh because just can't work legally still She's just going through uh, immigration processes and what have you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, of course, as an independent woman, she wants to work and she wants to be able to, you know, contribute. Right. And I've kind of tried to urge her to, to, to use this time to practice her own writing, do her Twitch, whatever she's passionate about. Like, do that. Yeah. Because the second you get a nine to five, then you're just tired all the time. You'd be like my dad, who's been a butcher since he was 17, and now he's 67. He's been cutting meat for 50 years and not taking those chances that you would do otherwise. And um, when I was working in-house at the production company and I had a nine-to-six job, I found that I didn't invest in a lot of the stuff that made me happy. I didn't do photography. I didn't write. I didn't do podcasts, really. I didn't do a lot of that. And... Um, it, I actually did start my first podcast at the tail end of that, and it it helped like reiterate that I had to get out of that situation because it was robbing me of my time to sort of live the world as I think it should be, or at least how I should live it. And um, and so it's it's a it's a difficult thing. It's a difficult thing to sort of allow yourself the time and space to immerse yourself into something creative that is fulfilling to you and, um, and, and elevates you and elevates your understanding of the world and your appreciation of the wonders of it. Because if you're only working, you know, if you're just paying the bills that it's really easy to get like disillusioned with the goings and comings and how cool this whole thing is. It's really rad when you think about how this came to be. Exactly. And I think because for me anyway, working when I was working, you know, just a like a job and I would go in at like nine and sometimes mm-hmm. I would work till 12. You know, I mean, you do that now in your work, but mm-hmm. you're not doing like it's yeah. not the same job every day, every day, every day. Um, but what ha- what I noticed working and I did that for a long time. Is you get it, it, it puts you into a schedule that. You know, oh, I'm, not, I'm getting up at this time. I'm going to take my lunch. I'm going to work and I'm come home. And then you're like, you said, you're so tired. You just want to watch TV or do something for the rest of the night. And then the weekend comes. And so that's your weekend. And you feel like you have to, I, I'd never understood the freedom of having a schedule that you, you are controlled. I mean, you still have to get your work done Yeah. and we still work really hard, but it's on our terms and that's so different. And I'm not saying that a nine to five is a bad thing. I think a lot of people, you know, it, it works really well for them and they can still do the thing that they love. Mm -hmm. But I think those of us who, you know, it's, it just does, it didn't, I realize now it just didn't, I used to think I needed that structure, but I really don't, but I do find I work all the time now, (laughs) which is, (laughs) yeah. But it's what I want yeah. to do. It's, it, you know. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Like the tricky thing that I've learned is when you have to be your own boss, 
then you're your own boss. Mm-hmm. And uh, whatever whatever the things that you're doing, of course, they're the things you're passionate about and the things you love, but no one's going to make you do it but yourself. No. No one's going to give you a structure but yourself. Mm-hmm. It's You can allow yourself to go a whole week of sitting on the couch if you want, <laughs> and no one will tell you otherwise unless the bills are due. That's right. But, <laughs> so it's a weird thing. Uh-huh. And it's a kind of a weird thing. It's like you have that freedom, but you also have to have the discipline. That's right. You have to you have to apply that it's to to get the value out of what you're doing, uh, so that's worthwhile. Exactly. So it's not an easy thing by any means, but I think it's also once again, it's like you just have to find your way through it to figure out what works for you, to figure out how to do it, so that it, you know you can pay the bills and hopefully have even some more after that. But also just to know that. Um, you're right. You have, you do. I mean, it, you have to be, it's discipline. It's a lot of discipline. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. With, with everything, cause obviously we've sort of highlighted a lot of strenuous moments and, and you've, you've been, you know, you've had to, you've had to take on a lot and, and you really, you really challenged the system and in, in many regards won in ways that a lot of people aren't fortunate enough to do so. With and 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 it's not even the end, right? There's there's plenty more going on as we speak. But we go having gone through all that, having gone through all those hardships, dealing with the shady lawyers and the and the the, the roadblocks and all those things. How do you maintain that level of, of gratitude to towards everything that you have and and funnel that energy into something fulfilling and productive? I think you actually said it very well a little earlier. It's just, had I not gone through all of those things, I wouldn't be here. And I really want to be here. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to, I, yeah. I am so grateful for the hard times because I learned so much in them. When you're in the midst of them, mm-hmm. you don't know that. And it's important to know that, to know that even when things are so hard, if you can what I didn't know then is if you can maintain an attitude of gratitude, even through that kind of rhymed in an attitude of gratitude through, through those really hard, hard times, like just being grateful for whatever. I mean, just find something to be, I think Tony Robbins is -hmm. is like, so he, he has his, his, his teachings are so great. It's like, it's not that hard to find just, just a, just a step above feeling better. Just grasp for that next feeling that yeah. feels better. You can do that. You can do some jumping jacks and anything to get your, but, and which I have done mm-hmm. before, like been so down that just a jumping jack made me feel better. But um, had I not gone through all of that stuff, I just, I just wouldn't have learned the way that I, I believe life is supposed to work. I think we are supposed to go through those hard times in order to galvanize mm-hmm who we really are and what we're supposed to be doing and also just to be much more joyful and loving creatures because surprisingly the hard times are what bring that. I, that's what I think. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. I always like that term, you know, uh, was it iron sharpens iron? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. You, the things, the things that we go through that are traumatizing or, um, demoralizing at times or, or just generally hard. Those are the things that define us or at least how we respond to them are the things that define us. Do we get angry and throw something against the wall? Do we take a deep breath and go for a walk? 
do we um and 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 you know i have failed at that far more times than i've succeeded in many regards you know i always joke about like i lose the ordeal with fire constantly <laughs> constantly um but at least you can keep striving to be to that point where you recognize that you lost that battle and what do you learn from it? And maybe next time you don't curse that person out on the freeway who cut you off. Right. It's easy to do in LA. Um, you know, you don't, you don't get that mad at that person on set who, who maybe isn't, you know, working to your level that you, that you, or, or, or isn't outputting to your expectation or, or, you know, fight, you know, disagreements with your partners in terms of like, what you're expecting out of things versus what they're expecting out of things. And again, I, I, I've, again, I've failed far more times than I've succeeded, but I do think that as long as you can get to a point where you recognize that that's the goal, then, then there's always a new moment, a new minute, a new day to kind of start fresh and just be a little bit better on that day than you were the previous day. Exactly. And I think that's really it to me. It is it. Each because if you're getting better each day, or you're trying to be better each day, then yeah. ten years from now, hopefully, we're going to be great. Hopefully, <laughs> we're going to be perfect, and then we'll be dead. It'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I want to thank you so much for being on this uh, chat forever. Um, I'm really excited to see your project come to life thank because uh, I know how passionate you are about it. I know how much work you've put into it. I understand that version of you that was sitting in a theater alone watching a movie and thinking one day I'll do that too. Mm-hmm. One day I'll, I'll write my name on the board, the annuals of film, and it can never be taken away, whether it's one or a hundred. Once you've etched your name in, you're a filmmaker. Yep. That's it. Like you're in. And, and that can never be taken away ever, no matter what. And so I'm super excited for you and, and to see that story come to life. And of course, if there's anything you need on my end, please feel free to reach out. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm happy to, to help in any way that I can humbly. Um, oh, and yeah, I'm, I'm, and, and I look forward to your writings, you know, when they come out on your Patreon. And I hope that everyone takes the time to check them out because they, they help a lot. Thank Often, you. all the time. I have been really, you, I tell Damien all the time, anytime I hear from you, I'm always happy to hear from you. And you've <laughs> been one of those like people who've come into my life that like, I, you know, we don't, we haven't like really corresponded that much, but every time we do, I always look forward to the next time. And this has been so much fun just talking to you about movies. Oh, good. It's the best. And thank you so much for asking me on. It means a lot to me. Of course, of course. And by, and it's funny because I never had like a pen pal growing up. I always thought it was such a cool idea to have a pen pal, but I just didn't. And I can't really write, handwrite very well. I get cramps in my hands. But um, in a way, that, that's kind of been what this has sort of transformed into. It doesn't happen. I, I, I remember my mom one time told me that uh, uh, sometimes you get this friend that you may not talk to for six months. And then when you touch base, it's like no, no time passed at all. Right. It's just, uh, 
you know, it's just that you just pick up right where you left off. And in many regards, I feel like that's kind of every time, you know, I don't, I don't like to pry or bother, but I'll be like, you know what? I need to tell Lori this, <laughs> or, you know what, that, that, that's, that writing was really good. Or, you know what? I saw a movie that I know she's going to like, and, you know, and of course, feel free to reach out to me whenever I'm, I'm around. Oh, I will. All the time, so oh, don't ever stop. Because yeah. That makes me, it, I always, I'm so happy when I hear from you. Yeah, well, you have my number now, so that's right. <laughs> I do. You want. <laughs> Excellent. Texting. Well, well, thank you so much. I know you're not on social media. Good on you. Way smarter than me. Um, but for people who do want to read your blog or, or follow any of the stuff that you're doing, like where could they find you if they wanted to? It's I only do Patreon, and it's I think it's just under my name. I think that's all you have to search for. Um, so that's where you can find me. Um, and please do. <laughs> thank you. Yes. <laughs> of course. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. We'll talk soon or write soon. Bye. Yes. <laughs> thank you once again to Lori. I had just an absolute blast talking with her about magic and film and the creative process and her story and all of that it was just, it was just wonderful. It was, it was such a good time. It's such a pleasant way to spend an afternoon. And so my deepest and sincerest thanks and gratitude for her taking time out of her very busy day to come on the show and just chat with us for a little while. I also, as I said, at the top of the intro, I want to thank all of you. It, it really does blow my mind to see that there are people who listen from literally all over the world. That is absolutely mind absolutely mind-blowing this is this podcast is, is a labor of love it's my effort to share some of the cool stories of people that i know and to know that it, it reaches so many people when there's so many options for things to entertain us or educate us or enlighten us or whatever you get from this podcast the fact that you chose this one mahalo thank you i appreciate you you're amazing i love you you all are wonderful and on this week I can't help but be sort of overwhelmed by a sense of gratitude for the fact that in this very, very noisy world that we live in, there are folks who on a weekly basis tune into this podcast and uh, and dig what I what I do and what my guests do. So so thank you all. Um, I always urge you. If you like a podcast, follow the person I interviewed. Don't, I mean, you, if you want to follow me, totally cool. David Skiro on Twitter is probably the best way to reach me. But more importantly than me, follow the people whom I who might interview, who come on the show to talk. There's such, there's such rad people doing really crazy and cool things. And uh, I wouldn't have on, have them on the show if I didn't think they were doing something pretty positive. So check them out. Check out Lori in particular, check out her Patreon. If you're not, if you're not subscribed to her Patreon, I know everyone's got one and, 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 you know, we live in hard times, but if you have the means, check it out because I think there's a lot of value in her in her words and in her insights, and I think that that came across beautifully in today's episode. So uh, thank you once again to Lori so much. I really appreciate it. Anytime you'd like to, you're more than welcome back. And and once again, a very very heartfelt thank you to all of you. Uh, gold rings on you. I love you. I hope that you all have a wonderful Thanksgiving. If you live somewhere in the world where you don't celebrate Thanksgiving, celebrate it anyway. Fuck it. Have a good time. Give thanks to the things in your world because this life, despite what you see on the media or the news or the social media, it's a fucking cool place to live. And we, we all can be very, very grateful for that. So um, I, I'll stop rambling because that's what I'm going to do today. But thank you all. Thank you, Lori. Gold rings on you all. We'll talk next week. <laughs>